Hooah! This is Al Pacino. Thanks, Al. Oh, it's very easy to find all of Al's movies on DVD, Blu-ray, and on Netflix. Think of them. Godfather, Scent of a Woman, Jack and Jill. But only recently has his most controversial film been released after years of being locked away. It is called Cruising, and it was directed by The Exorcist's William Friedkin and was the most controversial movie of the 1980s because it said that most gays are serial killers. What do you think of that, Al? Okay, so what are people going to be listening to on this week's episode of This Was a Thing? Cruising. This week on This Was a Thing. Did you do a lot of research for the movie, Al? I'm going to talk about it. This was a thing. This was a thing. The movie cruising with Al Pacino. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at the 1980 film cruising oh boy starring mr al pacino now this was a thing because while protests about problematic movies and tv shows are commonplace today it was cruising that laid the foundation that even the idea of a film is problematic and should be canceled now raymond michael hebel the second let me ask you have you ever seen cruising i've never seen cruising folks if you have not seen cruising i would encourage you to do so because for the longest time cruising was not available on vhs or dvd but now it is now it is because it's now starting to get a re-examination now you can only get it on vhs now you can only get it on beta (laughs) yeah and you get a special laser disc it's a two-part one is cruising and the other is an american tale five will goes west oh nice it's it's fun for the whole family i love five Pacino goes goes south and Fievel will go west. So (laughs) cruising, for those of you who don't remember, is one of the biggest cinematic failures of the 1980s. And that's saying something because don't forget Leonard Part 6, people. Do you remember Leonard Part 6, the Bill Cosby film? Oh, the Bill Cosby one. And and this, I mean, this was 1980, so this really started the 80s with a bang. Oh, it really, to say the least. But it was also one of the first times the queer community rallied together to protest an incredibly problematic portrayal of their community. And you'll hear today there were tons of problematic portrayals prior to this movie. So the fact that it was the cruising that got them upset is kind of amazing to me. Uh, And an ability to, unfortunately, politically organize that would come in handy with only a few months of cruising's release because the gay community is going to be afflicted by AIDS very soon after this. But it was the protesting and organization against cruising which helped rally those troops when it was time to protest the fact that the government was doing absolutely nothing to help with the AIDS crisis. Okay, so before we jump into this movie, uh, let's place our little lecture on cruise control for a second. (laughs) Get it? Cruise control? Oh. While we look at the queer community in movies prior to cruising. While religious organizations would object to homosexuality for quite some time, it didn't matter for the Catholic Church though, it was widely known that it happened and people knew what it meant and it most often happened in major urban areas. So homosexuality was around, but it was illegal 
It was illegal because what you do in the privacy of your own bedroom, my God, that's really going to impact and affect me. So, but before the Hayes Code came to the movies in 1930s, you could actually see gay characters appear in films. People think that we didn't really see gay characters in film until like the 1970s or 80s. That's actually not the case. You got to see them before the Hayes Code stepped in. In fact, here is an example of an early representation of queerness on the big screen. This is from the film Public Enemy. In this, Jimmy Cagney is getting measured for a suit by a tailor. 31 and a half. 31 and a half. Don't forget, plenty of room in there. Oh, sir. Here's where you need the room. Such a muscle. To make it snap, you're going to find out what it's for. Yeah, come on, let's get out of here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so yes, it's offensive because he's beating up or he's going to beat up the tailor, but at least you saw a queer character. Now, they were there to laugh at. That was always the big thing. They were, they were never taken seriously. They were there to be laughed at because the feeling was that gay people were just campy and that they were sissies and that they were pansies and that they were fairies and that they were pretty much women wearing suits. Drag queens were around in urban nightclubs. In vaudeville, there was a thing known as the pansy character or the nance. Probably the best example of queer representation I can find for you at this particular time was a gentleman by the name of Harry Rose. Harry Rose from the world of vaudeville and burlesque. Let's just take another look at what uh, people were thinking of when they thought of gay characters at this time. This is Harry Rose with the great song Frankfurter Sandwiches. Every night I bring her Frankfurter Sandwiches, Frankfurter Sandwiches. How my baby loves those Frankfurter Sandwiches, Frankfurter Sandwiches. I tried to win her with flowers, flowers, all kinds of sweetness, till I found out my baby's weakness. Every night she whispers, thanks for sandwiches. How have I never seen that? How have you never seen? Well, it's 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 not a prominent moment in cinematic history. Uh, as time marched on through the fifties and sixties, children were warned to stay away from the homosexual because that's that's what they were called, the homosexual. And the best person to help us identify a homosexual, because yes, like Jews, they have telltale signs of their deformities. Who better to help us identify this than Mr. Mike Wallace with his television special? The Homosexual. Oh, Jesus. The Homosexuals with CBS News correspondent Mike Wallace. Homosexuality is an enigma. Even in this era of bold sexual mores, it remains a subject that people find disturbing, embarrassing, and the reluctance to discuss it. Yet there is a growing concern about homosexuals in society, about their increasing visibility. In preparing this broadcast, CBS News commissioned a survey by the Opinion Research Corporation into public attitudes toward homosexuality. We discovered that Americans consider homosexuality more harmful to society than adultery, abortion, or prostitution. Most Americans are repelled by the mere notion of homosexuality. The CBS News survey shows that two out of three Americans look upon homosexuals with disgust, discomfort, or fear. One out of ten says hatred. A vast majority believe that homosexuality is an illness. Only 10% say it is a crime. And yet, and here's the paradox, the majority of Americans favor legal punishment, even for homosexual acts performed in private between consenting adults. The homosexual bitterly aware of... 
Wow. Yeah, so pretty soon homosexuality was seen as something that could be used to show a tragic downfall, like greediness or lying. All you had to do was look at the House on American Activities Committee. So studios then began to suggest or hint that homosexuality was a secret that should not be named and that would kill a person. So if homosexuality was going to be in a film, it was always going to be controversial and it was always going to be something that was going to be a downfall. And every gay movie or every character that was gay in a film ended the same way, which was they would either be killed or kill themselves. So imagine being gay at this time and all you're seeing is these negative portrayals of being gay and that your life is a joke and it's not valid and punishable by death because you deserve to die. That's what the media is telling you. But then things began to change in the country and there's a sexual revolution that occurs, which told people that queerness could happen, experimentation could happen, and that gays were all around and they looked like anybody. They didn't just look like Ralph. Thanks, Mike Wallace. A homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Mike Wallace. The biggest moving of the artistic needle in all of this was an off-Broadway play called The Boys in the Band, which was about a group of gay men presented realistically, all gathering together to celebrate a birthday party. And at the end of the play, surprise, surprise, nobody was dead. In fact, it showed that gay people could look just like about anybody and that they all had various jobs and all had various desires and they were very much like straight people and they were in a band and they were in a band of of course the movie did have some still some negative ideas of homosexuality one of the characters does say if you want to see a a happy homosexual i'll show you a dead corpse or a dead gay corpse or something like that so it still has some elements of like ooh sadness for the gay world But one of the things that helps this play get a little bit more notoriety is the fact that it's turned into a movie uh, with most, I believe, of the, if not all, the original cast in the movie. And it's directed by a director named William Friedkin. Now, remember that name because he's coming back later. Alligators. Oh. Alligators. Get it? So with the Stonewall, (laughs) thank you, with the Stonewall riot in 1969 and the American Medical Association saying homosexuality was not a psychiatric disease in 1973, suddenly gayness was coming out of the closet, which meant it was about time for queer characters to show up on screen in positive ways, not necessarily sad sex that were going to die at the end. However, though, even though they were showing up in positive ways, they were always shown up as comedic relief. Um, the effeminate tailor, the effeminate wedding planner. Carmen Gia in the Carmen producers. Carmen Gia in the producers is a great example of it. But it was actually television, not movies, that leads the charge of trying to bring more gay characters to the screen. Because most movie actors did not want to play gay because, God forbid, somebody thinks they play gay. So while TV leads the charge because most movie actors did not want to play gay, and soon we see sitcom episodes where gay characters are brought on, it's always they're brought on in a sense of like, you mean anyone can be gay regardless? of what they look like. So in February 1971, All in the Family, Norman Lear, became the first sitcom to bring a gay man into America's living rooms. Now, if you've never seen this episode of All in the Family, it's also very early on. I think it's the fifth episode of their first season. Oh, wow, really? So it's tackling this issue very, very early. So the premise is that Mike and Gloria, who are Archie's son-in-law and daughter, they have a friend who's coming over and... Archie Bunker literally calls the friend, oh, the fag, oh, the fairy. Every word that's imaginable is used to describe this guy. Archie's homophobic comments upset everybody. The guy actually turns out not to be gay. And so Archie's (laughs) like goes down to the local bar to relax. And while he's there, he's hanging out with his friend who's this big old linebacker. And the linebacker admits to him 
that he's a homosexual. Oh. Which shows gays can look like anything, anytime, anywhere. In all that time, did I ever mention a woman? Well, what difference does that make? You're a bachelor. So? I know, but bachelors, they're always acting kind of private. Exactly. Oh, come on, Steve. I mean, I ain't the brightest guy in the world. You want to put me on, put me on, but don't sit there and tell me that you... I mean, look at you, look at... Come on, will you, big clown? You get out of here. Have it your own way, Arch. The truth's in the eye of the beholder anyway. I'll see you later, pal. Well, if that's the punch of a fruit. <laughs> yeah. Anita Bryant, who is a horrible human being, uh, spearheaded a, a campaign called Save Our Children, which was meant to repeal a Dade County, Florida ordinance prohibiting discrimination based on sexual orientation. The campaign was successful and was heartily condemned by members of the gay community and their allies, but they got back at Anita Bryant. They slapped the bitch with a pie. Do you remember that when she got slapped with a pie at a press conference? I'm sure that'll be an episode at some point, but makes me very happy. By the way, I think her granddaughter is gay. Of course. So you're like, yeah, so it makes me so happy. So the gay rights movement, while making strides, still had to compete that homosexuality was a choice. It was a sin. It was a perversion. You know, the images that kind of got circulated out there were like the Tom of Finland images. And if you don't know what Tom of Finland is, it's actually what all of cruising is pretty much based on. It was like these very like large guys with like leather jackets. They all look like motorcyclists. Leatherman. Leatherman with like whips and chains. And that's sort of the idea that was getting out there. And the gay community was like, we kind of have to counteract this in some way. Now, in 1962, I'm going to jump back a little bit. This just shows you how like short things are in the grand scheme of things. In 1962, consensual sexual relations between the same sex couples was decriminalized in Illinois. And the last time it would happen would be in 2003. The Supreme Court finally decriminalized homosexuality in the decision Lawrence v. Texas. And that meant in 2003, the final holdouts that still thought gayness was a crime. Can you imagine 2001, 2002? crazy. At the end of the millennium, you could still be arrested for homosexuality in states like Alabama, Florida, Idaho, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and Virginia. Virginia is for lovers. Just make sure there's one penis, one vagina that did not fit on the entire vanity plate. (laughs) Okay, back to cruising. First of all, we should probably explain to our listeners, what is cruising? Ray, what is cruising? Cruising is when you want to get a little stank on your hang low, uh, and it doesn't matter whose stank it is. Mm, mm. Then there's different different routes that you could take Mm, to mm. uh, get that um, hang low stankin'. Mm. Thank you. Now, can you put that in layman's terms? Uh, if you want to have a very quick anonymous sexual encounter, there are numerous avenues or places you could go. You just have to word of mouth. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so one <laughs> word of mouth. Get it? So, friends, cruising, like Ray was saying, is an act in which gay men, this was mostly a gay men thing, because being gay was illegal and you were going to get arrested for it, you would 
try to figure out who was gay in your general vicinity, whether walking through a park or on the subway or at a bar. You would look each other up and down. You would cruise one another, go circle each other a little bit. And if both of you were interested, you would probably engage, like Ray was saying, in anonymous sex somewhere that was convenient in the park in a train on a bath in a bathroom for for modern day would you consider like a uh a a grinder yes like a, kind of like a, yeah. a modern day cruising yeah the only difference i think is that you didn't on grinder you know that everybody out there is looking for it so you don't uh, unlike in real life where you know, if you see somebody attractive on the subway and you make eyes at them, one, you don't know if they're gay, you don't know if they're straight, you don't know what the situation is. So yeah, I think Grinder is pretty much like a modern day cruising site. Cruising was actually a book originally. It was the brainchild of a New York Times writer named Gerald Walker, and it was published in 1970, and people took notice because not many books discussed the gay lifestyle at this time. Now, I should say, Gerald Walker, God bless him, wanted to talk about the gay community, even though he was straight, but he doesn't necessarily put the gay community in a positive light in this book. I've read the book. I've actually read the book that it was based on. I had to pay like $100 to get a copy of it on eBay. In short, the novel Cruising is about a New York serial killer who's targeting gay men with a certain look, kind of like you, Ray, but but not a power bottom. Um, and Thank a, you for acknowledging. Of course. And a police officer who goes undercover in the world of gay cruising to try to catch the killer. The novel really uses anonymous cruising as the background of the crimes, and it becomes clear that the homophobic cop who vividly remembers beating a gay man when he was in the army, might actually be himself gay, and that he might start to find himself attracted to his uh, neighbor, who also is gay. And how does he cope? Eventually, spoiler alert, the serial killer goes on a killing spree in a bathhouse, and we think all is right with the world. Or is it? Because we think that the cop has actually turned into a serial killer. Oh, wow. I read the book. It's not a great book. It's not a bad book. It's fine. And it's not really even a thriller per se, because you know who the murderer is within the first three chapters. But what's interesting about it is it's, it's taking a look at a person who's starting to confront their sexuality and how are they going to deal with that? And from that perspective, it's, it's interesting, but it also goes like it plays into that old stereotype that the reason that the serial killer is gay is because he was humiliated by his father and he had bad sexual experiences with women. So the idea being that homosexuality was something that is taught to you, you're conditioned to it. It's not something that was born within you. So now that's the book. The gay community needless to say did not respond too positively to this portrayal of themselves in books. And so now it's going to be turned into a movie. Enter William Friedkin, back from Boys in the Band fame. So William Friedkin has always been a film director that was on the cutting edge of movies, in the, especially in the 1970s. The idea of turning cruising into a movie had actually been circulating around Hollywood for quite some time. The producer of The French Connection brought it to William Friedkin originally and was like, do you want to turn this into a movie? Friedkin was like, I don't see my way into this. I don't know how to make this film. But by the end, Late 1970s, the idea started to percolate up again because a couple of things happened to him. One, there was a wonderful police officer consultant on the French Connection by the name of Randy Jorgensen. Randy Jorgensen actually went undercover to solve murders in the gay community, much like the Al Pacino character does. Got it. So he had a bunch of things to say. And Friedkin also got very friendly with the mobsters who owned most of the gay bars in New York City, which I know is incredible. And so they used to bring him into the into the into the bars. Cruising explores a subsection of the gay community, which is the leather BDSM community. Those were the clubs that the mafia owned. So Freakin used to go and hang out at places like 
the ramrod and the mine shaft and the cock <laughs> for those that are not so creative with their marketing. So Freakin went with United Artists and they decided to make something that kind of looked, vaguely looked, maybe not really, just shared the same title as the word cruising. So now as a film director, the job, of course, is how do you make something jump off the page? Friedkin had done it with The French Connection and The Exorcist, but um, this book, Cruising, is a psychological peek into people confronting their sexuality. How do you make that exciting and vibrant in the same way as the scary car chase in The French Connection? So Friedkin found his way in, and he said, if we set this story in the mysterious, dark underworld of the leather BDSM culture, suddenly it becomes violent and it becomes visceral. And that's exactly what I'm going for. Now, one of the things that also made the world of this leather bar interesting to William Friedkin is that in the 1970s, there was a revolution amongst gay men. Prior to the sexual revolution, gay men were given this moniker that they were really just women in men's clothing, stereotypical women, by the way. And the gay community said, no, in fact, we're sick and tired of that. We're men. And we're going to embody all the stereotypical aspects of what being a man was. So there was a whole big community in the gay world that were, quote unquote, incredibly masculine, big muscles, hairy chests, doing tough jobs like being a motorcycle gang member dressed in leather. So the leather culture became popular at this time, but it was still a fringe idea. But it was this little fragment that straights tried to push through. And they kept pointing to the leather community and saying, you see, this is what's going to happen if you allow your kids to work around homosexual, this sort seriously, this sort of debauchery. First of all, we're hearing this today. No, yeah. Didn't we just hear on the news that somebody was like, oh, yeah, you're grooming people? Oh, David Mamet. Yeah. The teachers were groomers. So, needless to say, the gay community was not really happy about the fact that the straight community was saying, yeah, this is what gay people are supposed to be. So, anything that was going to perpetuate that idea probably was not going to fly very well. But for Friedkin, that idea intrigued him, right? Now, if you were into this scene back in the late 70s, early 80s, you were most likely in urban areas like New York City and Los Angeles, but especially in New York City at the Meatpacking District, which is what it was called. And those were clubs like Mineshaft and the Ramrod and the Eagle. Uh, the Eagle is still in operation, the Mineshaft and Ramrod are not, in no. which anything goes. Now, remember, for years, gays were told you couldn't have sex at all. It was illegal. So when it's finally decriminalized, it's going to be, you know what it's like when you're like 21? And you've been waiting all this time to drink. And then at 21, all you do is like drink, 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 drink. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sort of the same thing with the gay sexuality at this time. You've been told for years and years and years you can't have sex. Now it's you're told, yeah, it's fine. Go have sex. So all of these pent up feelings come rushing out. There were fisting harnesses, inventive uses of Crisco, musky men, all for people to enjoy with anyone they wanted anytime. And this was the world that intrigued William Freakin. He said he did his own research. He's like, yeah, I showed up to one of these bars in a jockstrap and uh, nobody nobody paid attention to me. <laughs> so William Freakin got shunned by the gay community in his jockstrap. And this is the world that Freakin wanted to play with. Dangerous, smoky, and scary. Who, has it has, who cares if it had nothing to do with the book or a majority of the gay community? So once it decides to get approved, it's going to then go into production. They need to start casting the film. So there were some solid choices in this film, and solid is a generous word for this. Paul Servino played the police detective. Paul Servino in this, by the way, 
for some reason has a limp. Nobody understands why, but he just has a limp in the character film. choice. It's a character choice that's a bizarre character choice. And he's obviously not old enough to play the detective, so they've grayed his hair with like that baby powder he used oh, to use God. in community theater. It's a little embarrassing. Don Scardino played the neighbor that Al Pacino falls in love with. And, of course, they have to give him a girlfriend, Al Pacino. So the great Karen Allen shows up. The oh, book. Karen Allen. Yes. And now I will say, does not there is no f- girlfriend character in the book, but we decide to give one to Al Pacino. But the book really belongs to, the. the I mean, even though it's three three characters, the book really belongs to the, the cop. The cop is going to be the way our, we're going to see this story. And Freakin was like, I want somebody who's androgynous because what I want to do is create a feeling of mystery in this film. And the questions are, is the is the cop gay? Is he not gay? Is the cop a killer? Is he not a killer? And so he wanted somebody androgynous. So his first choice was David Bowie. David Bowie. He wanted Richard Gere. Oh. They, they wanted Gere. It looked like it was going to go with Richard Gere. But then, un- unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, Al Pacino got a hold of the script. And Al Pacino was like, I want to do it. Al Pacino was a huge movie star at this time. And so they signed on Al Pacino. Now, shooting began in 1979. And some of the first scenes that freaking shot were actually in a gay bar a gay bar made to look like the mine shaft and he brought in extras but the extras weren't actors the extras were actually people who went to the gay bars and he said hey listen do what you normally do and i'm just gonna film it and they said great and they did and it's, it was like a documentary. And some of it is still in the film today. If you watch cruising those scenes in the leather bars unless they have a line of dialogue they're all actual patrons. The reason that Freakin filmed f- about 40 minutes of just pure on sex in this in this club, he said was because there were go- he was going to use the idea that Al Pacino's character was watching it and maybe he was a participant in it. So it was going to be a-, a couple of more clues for the audience to figure out is Pacino's character gay, is he not gay, etc. We're going to get to what happened to all that footage in a second. Now, you can't keep a secret in New York long, Mary, because pretty soon the word leaked out this movie was being made and that a script had been leaked to the gay community. And the gay community was not too pleased with this particular script. And they were really angry by the fact that the only representation of gay life in this film was the BDSM world. The thing that they were trying to prevent being seen as the identifying thing for their community was now going to be a major motion picture with America's biggest Hollywood star and one of America's biggest directors. Everyone was going to see this and everyone was going to say, you see, that's exactly what queers are. That's what the movie is saying, right? Most upset about all of this was a guy by the name of Arthur Bell, and he wrote for The Village Voice, a gay newspaper in New York City. And he was like, how dare Freakin' and Pacino do this to the gay community? Weren't they allies? Freakin' had done Boys in the Band. Pacino was a huge New York stage actor. He must know gay people. What if the movie inspires people to copycat? What if the movie says, see, they're all perverts? How does this movie get stopped from being made? And Arthur Bell predicted that the film would be, quote, the most oppressive, ugly, bigoted look at homosexuality ever presented on screen. And he told people in all of his articles, we have to stop this movie. He told people in his articles, they're filming on Christopher Street tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Go stop them. And so he encouraged protesters to show up and make so much noise they couldn't film. And guess what? 
protesters did, which is why the film is dubbed so much. If you notice a lot of the exterior scenes, they're so clearly dubbed. It's because there was so much noise on set, they couldn't record a clean audio track. So it, it gives the movie a very surreal quality that most of the dialogue is dubbed, but not in the way I think anyone was anticipating. Gay businesses were told, do not allow them to film there. When they went to film places, protesters would take pots and bang the pots. They would take mirrors and hold them up to the sun so that way it would reflect yeah. into the camera lens. Pacino's defense, he said, hey, listen, this movie's not against gay life. He's like, it's a this is a portion of gay life the same way the mafia is a small portion of Italian life. He was trying to equate it to The Godfather. Now, in addition to that, there were some tensions between Mr. Pacino and Mr. Friedkin. I think it became very clear early on that Al Pacino had realized he had made probably not the best decision and was incredibly disheartened in the making of the process. And Freakin said Pacino showed up late, he didn't know his lines, and it brought nothing to the character. And I will say, and I think Al Pacino is a brilliant actor, I don't think this is one of his best. He was just kind of cruising. How dare you? <laughs> and then Pacino said, Freakin was giving me no direction. I would say to him, like, am I gay? Am I the killer? Like, what does all of this mean? And Freakin was like, it doesn't really mean anything. So needless to say, it was not a very... <laughs> Wonderful filmmaking process. Now, I wish I was a fly on the wall when the finished copy of Cruising was delivered to the ratings board who must rate the film. And they were like, what the fuck is this? One of the judges on the thing said, there aren't enough X's for this film. And he says, this is an X rating. X ratings, of course, mean death at the box office. So United Artists was scrambling on how to fix the problem. So for $1,000 per day fee, there was a psychologist named Aaron Stern. And Aaron Stern assisted Freakin in editing down the film's more exotic content. Exotic. In order to qualify for the R rating. They were able to get rid of about 40 minutes of footage, which was literally all the stuff that Freakin had shot with guys fucking each other. And overall, it cost United Artists $50,000 just to get their MPAA rating. That's 50 days of work. That's 50 days of work. Now, the point of all of this weird footage apparently was not an issue, according to Freakin. And he removed it all saying, listen, I knew that they were going to not be happy with this film so i decided to front load it with lots of stuff and compromise on that stuff which meant nothing so i could keep what i wanted that's fair a lot of the stuff that got cut however was stuff that made it clearer for the audience what exactly is happening in this film which is is pacino gay is he not gay is pacino the killer or is he not the killer and the idea i think is supposed to be that pacino probably turned himself into a killer he was not necessarily the it, – it, it isn't just one killer out there. It's not the lone gunman theory that there were multiple killers out there, which is also not really good for the gay community because the idea is saying is once you go gay, you become a murderer. So that did not go over very well. This footage was cut by William Friedkin. United Artists had it. We don't know what happened to this footage. Nobody can find it. Friedkin is convinced that United Artists burned it. And was like, we have to get rid of it. <laughs> but if you ever saw it, folks, it is not actors that are live sexual acts happening that William Freakin just happened to catch with his camera. So Freakin was like, listen, we got to appease the gay community in some way. So he invited this gay writer that he knew to a screening. And he said, what do you think of the film? And this guy said to him, well, can you do one or two, th two, do, two, two things for us and maybe we'll be okay. One, in the opening of the film, which is not in the film anymore, the serial killer 
walks by a brick wall and on the brick wall it's graffitied we are everywhere which kind of makes it sound like gays are everywhere and they're all criminals yeah so he was like can we get rid of that like can we not like not, not say the gays are everywhere because they're all criminals and they added a disclaimer to the film which read quote this film is not intended as an indictment of the homosexual world. It is set in one small segment of that world, which is not meant to be a representative of the whole. Needless to say, that disclaimer pissed off people even more. There was a great historian named Vito Russo who wrote a great book called The Celluloid Closet about gays in movie history. And he was like, first of all, he's like, you are saying that this is the gay community because if you didn't think it was the gay community, there would be no reason to even like make this disclaimer in the first place. So they were like, let's see what we can do with this with this disclaimer. Now, of course, we all know this. Just like every fucking film that has controversy surrounding it, it's not going to deter people from seeing it. In fact, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to make everybody want to go see it. So when a, a cruising eventually does open, it rakes in $20 million. Now, MGM, who's going to be doing all of this, is very smart. And they're like, let's market it as a standard police thriller. That's how we're going to market cruising. It is a standard police thriller. It's the guy from French Connection with the lead from The Godfather. That's how we're going to market this. No gays, no nothing. That's how we're marketing it, which is very a smart way of, of, of getting yourself in there because that easily would have made people go and see it. Like, I don't care what anyone, I don't care what some queer is saying. I want to go see Al Pacino. I want to see The Godfather guy. So that got the box office as high as it possibly could. Let me show you the trailer for Cruising because I know, Ray, you have never seen the movie. A New York City detective in search of a killer is about to disappear into the night. Is it dangerous? I can't talk about it. What he sees. Who's here? What he feels. I don't think I can do the job, Captain. I don't think I can handle it. I'm here. This is stuff going down. I don't think I can. Uh, I can deal with it. Yes! Yes! You hear? What he experiences. What he discovers will change his life forever. Al Pacino. Who's here? I'm here. You're here. Cruising. That looks like a movie. That's that is a movie, my friend. Ray, what are you thankful for this month? Well, Rob, I'm thankful that we have so many great This Was a Thing listeners and that so many of them financially support us so we can continue to dive as deep as we can into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. And support my humble habit. Want to help us be even more thankful? Head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. 
and search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing. And what are you doing this November, Rob? By being thankful that we can have as much diet canned cranberry sauce as we want. Gotta get my P90 Eximus body on. Ow. Pull the hamstring. Go lay down, Rob. Mm. We are thankful for all of you and we'll be even more thankful if you can head on over to Patreon.com. Let's talk a little bit about the controversy. This is from some news clips from the 1970s, 1980, talking about the release of cruising in San Francisco. Earlier today, Transamerica tried to reassure the gay community by setting up a special screening of cruising. Forty prominent local gays saw the movie, but apparently the screening did not have the desired effect. Every day in this city, dozens of gay people are beaten up, come close to being murdered, this film it not only exaggerates that, it is almost an incitement to go out and murder people. We are not asking for Transamerica to withdraw this film from San Francisco. We're asking for them to withdraw it from uh, circulation, from, from the country. I think it would be smart of the company who produced it to just do the country a service and withdraw it. But I wouldn't say withdraw something from a point of view of censorship, from a point of view of extremely poor taste. It's a piece of crap. So the movie opens and the gays are not happy, but even worse, the audiences are not happy. Here's uh, some audiences coming out of the opening night of Cruising. Oh, good. Did you think it was worth seeing? Not really. I don't think it really said anything. Interesting. Are you glad you saw it? Yeah, I am. I don't, I didn't think it was violence against gays as much as I thought it was violence against S&M. Uh, I wouldn't take it. Sorry you saw it? No. It's just one very good movie. They're very so nobody liked the film, as you could hear there. But also, let's go to those experts on BDSM, Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> the next picture is rougher. It's also R-rated and is making a lot of people very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Few films, I think, in recent memory have aroused more ill feeling before they've opened than the new thriller Cruising. It's about a cop trying to solve a series of violent stabbings in the kinky underground of New York's homosexual community. While the film was being filmed in New York City... Last year, it was vigorously protested by leaders of the gay community. They claimed that the film was anti-gay and would trigger violence against gays. I don't know about that. All I know is that Cruising is a pretty bad movie. I had to look away from the screen twice while a knife was being plunged into a victim's back, repeatedly blood splashing around. It's disgusting. Cruising is needlessly violent, needlessly confusing. It is not, really not worth all the notoriety it's getting because of the gay protest. I think the key word is, is uh, confusing. Mm. One of the things that we go, when we, when, when we go to see a thriller, one of the things we expect to know at the end of the thriller is who did it and why. Yeah. <laughs> In a character study, one of the things we expect to know at the end of the movie is how the character is changed You mean the why. Pacino character who's investigating? In particular, yes. At the end of Cruising, you got it right on the head, we don't know who did it and why, and we don't know if the, if the Pacino character has changed and why. The, movie, the end of the movie is so confusing, so baffling, so annoying, it's almost as if it's a total cop-out. They got into this material, they wanted to engage in this controversy, they wanted to show this character confronting these events, and then at the end of the film, it's like they draw away from it and walk away from it yeah. and don't want to uh, deliver in terms of the premises that they the most set up. The most consistent. The movie, like you're saying, is needlessly violent. I mean, it is graphic beyond belief. I mean, the stabbings are disgusting. There is blood everywhere. It's all done for shock value. And at the end of the day, there's really nothing there and once again you know you watch the movie and you go i don't get it was al pacino the killer the movie ends in the most amb 
ambiguous way imaginable. They think they've arrested the killer. They think they've got him. But Al Pacino then goes back to his girlfriend's apartment and he's wearing his leather outfit still. And you're like, why is he still wearing his leather outfit? And at the end of the movie, he's shaving. And when he's shaving, he like looks into the mirror, which looks into the camera and he like looks at the camera. And then it's like a quick shot of like another gay guy walking into a leather bar. And you're like, what? Like, what is happening? I love that William Friedkin can like just his excuse for a shitty movie is, well, it's ambiguous. It's, I, I, I it's feel like ambiguous. so many directors have probably used that as like their excuse to like, well, you just don't understand. The idea is supposed to be that Al Pacino is becoming is discovering his homosexuality is being turned on by the violence he wants to commit violence you don't get any of that you don't get any of that anyway Vito Russo once again the guy who wrote the cellular closet he said uh, quote gays who protested the making of the film maintained that it would show that when Pacino recognized his attraction to the homosexual world he would become psychotic and begin to kill that was also a big complaint that the gay community had which is saying that if you are gay you're just a murderer waiting to happen the one of the things the gays protested about obviously was this fact that hey this is going to be copycats they're going to be copycats out there people said that's not going to happen however ron nyswaner uh who wrote philadelphia said his boyfriend and him were beat up and the thugs said cruising was the reason why two months after the film's release there was a former cop in new york who took an uzi and shot outside the ramrod um, and killed two people. He he shot 10, two of them died. Now, this is going to really be the last thing committed on celluloid of the gay world before the AIDS crisis happens because within a year, the New York Times is gonna have a headline that says rare cancer seen in 41 homosexuals. And of course, we know that that rare cancer ends up to be AIDS and the party for the gay community was over. AIDS cruising right before it. And like I said, the last big picture people remembering about the gay community was one that highlighted its lasciviousness, its debauchery, and the feeling that some people said at this time, of course they deserved AIDS. Didn't you see cruising? We'll talk more about censorship, cruising, James Franco, Mm. and the resurgence of cruising after this. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Coming soon. In 1980, William Friedkin gave us one of the most controversial movies ever made, Cruising. Well now, there's Cruising 2, the 21st century. A new serial killer, real sicko, we want to send you back out there, Steve. What clubs do I hit up first? No, Steve, they, they do it on apps now. Like a potato skin? Steve, an app is like an application on your phone. Uh, I got a flip. Uh, okay, we can get you an iPhone. Why can't it be a flip? Al Pacino is back as Detective Steve Burns, and he's on the trail of a new killer. Here's the phone, Detective. Grinder is already downloaded on there, and a profile was made for you. All right. How do I turn it on? You go on, and if you like the guy, you tap them. Grinder is different because there's no swiping left or right. Oh, my doctor only told me I should swipe from front to back. One of the most notorious thrillers of all time is brought into the 21st century. <sighs> I'm clicking the button and doesn't do anything. Oh, this is tricky. 
The weather in Trixie, Alabama is 85 degrees. The scenes have never been hotter. Well, I think I deleted it. The sex has never been sexier. Hey, Daddy, want some poppers? I'm on Coumadin. Do you know how to get a nap back? The danger is never so dangerous. I am running down the street and I drop my phone and it's cracked and now I don't know how to turn it on. When did New York lose all of its payphones? Why can't I have a payphone? There's one payphone and it's out of order. It's out of order. The whole freaking phone is out of order. Al Pacino in Cruising 2. Wait, I got it back on. The mystery has never been so queer. Thank you. This was a sketch. Cruising gets bad reviews. Freakin's career is pretty much over at this point. He never really makes another big hit after this. Pacino struggles for a long time as well. Al Pacino still has never talked publicly about this film. Really? Yeah. He does He does not talk about wow. it. Wow. And it's a film that got forgotten because it wasn't on VHS. It was so graphic it wasn't really being played on you know cable yeah. stations. I can't imagine ABC's movie of the week was going to be cruising anytime soon. But in 2000, William Friedkin was re-releasing The Exorcist, a director's cut version of The Exorcist. And during interviews for that, he said, oh yeah, you know, there was an original cruising that was, you know, 140 minutes long and used a lot of, uh, you know, footage that we had to get rid of people so well, where's the footage and he said well you know it's it's uh, you you know an artist has it i don't know what happened to it and all of a sudden because of the popularity of the exorcist again and people listening to these interviews they said well what exactly is cruising what is this forbidden film that everybody's talking about nowadays people are watching the film and they're looking at it from a totally different lens. We're now in a post-AIDS world. We're now in a world in which we've seen tons of different queer characters on screens, and we know queer people, so we don't look at it as like the only face of of queerness. Yeah. So now we can understand it as like, oh, it's part of an entire mosaic of a specific community. And one of the things that people are really interested in, and it's something that Freakin kept mentioning but no one was really paying attention to, is that the cops in the movie are all corrupt. And the opening of the movie starts with two police officers as they're driving in their patrol car going down the meatpacking district discussing how much they hate gay people and how much they hate the queer community. And they pick up two transgender prostitutes whom they make have sex with them in the back of their car. So he's talking a lot about the hypocrisy of the police department. So Freakin said recently, and I, I actually like this quote of his, and I'm sorry, I'm going to paraphrase him. He said, listen, he goes, people are reevaluating cruising now, and you might watch it and go, oh, it's a bad film, but at least you're not watching it going, it's a homophobic film, or you're not watching it going, this is a film that's doing damage. He said, that stigma is taken away. Because you watch it now and you think it's a bad film. He's like, you can at least have that opinion. But it's not being muddied with any other sort of ideas or thoughts that the film is detrimental to anybody's health, safety, or well-being. What I find so interesting about Cruising, though, is it's not a movie that got released. Like, do you remember the movie Kids or like Human Centipede, where it gets released and people go, this is a problematic film. This is this is not. This is not right. But a fact that a film was deemed problematic even before it <laughs> recorded one image on celluloid to me is absolutely fascinating. And we still have this today. And, you know, the examples that I think of are, you know, there was that Will Ferrell movie, Reagan, that has been going around in Hollywood for years now. Do you know about this? I think I've kind of heard about so, it. So a refresher, somebody wrote a screenplay, which I've read, and it's it's very funny, and I'm sorry to say that if, if you're offended by this, and I apologize, but the film, it's funny. 
it tells the story of Ronald Reagan's presidency, but that the presidency is really being manufactured by an intern who knows that Reagan has dementia and Reagan is convinced he's an actor playing the president and that everyone around him oh wow and that they're do- that they're making like a new avant-garde way of filming which means the cameras are hidden but you always need to stay in character and Will Ferrell was going to make the movie and it got stopped when Reagan's daughters were like, dementia is nothing to laugh about and Alzheimer's is nothing to laugh about. And it's very sad to see your father wasting away. So if you find comedy in that, you should be ashamed of yourself. I also think it was sad to watch a lot of my people waste away while Ronald Reagan did nothing about it either. So maybe we're all in the same boat. Anyway, that and that got canceled. That got canceled. But very similar to cruising in a way, which is cruising was, was told by a community, don't do this. It's offensive. They still did it. The Reagan film was told by a community, don't do it, it's offensive, and they didn't do it. So the question is, is there a right or wrong? Now, once again, this is not looking at a finished artistic product. People were protesting this film even before, like I said, it was even day one of shooting. So are you able to protest something that you've never seen? Is my question. I mean, personally, I feel like something should be seen because you never know what you're going to hear. But I mean, that's my opinion. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of things where you hear something and then you see the final about something and you see the final product and it's completely different. And it's just, you know, I agree with you. My feeling is, is, you know, I try not to give opinions on anything I have not seen. Yeah, that's that's a big thing for me. And I'm sure there are things that I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that. I'm going to be offended by it. But I'd like to listen to it or see it before I can make that decision. But I think what's really interesting is this community at this time, it's. Death, I mean, this isn't just, oh, I'm going to be offended. For them, this was a life or death stake struggle, which is we're just now starting to get visibility. And the first thing that you're going to present about us is the fact that we're all quote unquote perverts, that this is what we do with our time. So I understand that. No, I, fe- I, 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 I feel totally I, get I, for I, this. I, yeah, I get it. I get it for this. And like I said before, the mobilization around cruising is then going to help later on. When the AIDS crisis comes out and no one is helping these individuals, especially the government, so they need to find a way of mobilizing themselves, which I think they you can see throughout the 1980s, but I think it really starts with the protests for cruising. Because then for the longest time, if there is a gay story, it's probably going to be AIDS related, especially in like New York theater, where like every play that had gay characters dealt with AIDS in some way. And it's not going to really be until like Ellen DeGeneres and Will and Grace. In and out. In and out. Queer as folk. Brokeback Mountain. That you're going to get to see more gay characters and you're going to see a more wide range of them. The other thing that brought cruising back out a little bit was James Franco, the great James Franco, and I'm using that in quotation marks. James Franco decided to guess what the <sighs> what what the 40 minutes of missing footage was in cruising and made his own movie called Interior Leather Bar, where he does a recreation and a hypothesis of what he thinks are in those 40 missing minutes from cruising i heard about this and yeah. that's what it was yeah that's what it's, it's oh, talking about my. and only when the movie was out done did he call william freakin and was like hey what were those 40 missing minutes in cruising and william freakin's like why are you calling me now 
<laughs> Maybe you should have called me a little bit earlier. So that's that's to me what I wanted to talk about today. This was a thing, the movie Cruising. I will say, I will say, and one of the things I do want to bring up about this film is I watched it, and one of the things I was impressed by was that not one of these people was apologetic for their sexuality. Okay. No one ever felt bad for being gay. No one ever felt ashamed for what they were into, what their what their kinks were, and that was very refreshing to see. I thought that was very cool in this film. Okay. That yeah. there was no sense of like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this or I'm embarrassed by this. So I hope, folks, I hope you rent Cruising. You can watch it. I would encourage you. It's not a fun date night movie. <laughs> it's very graphic. It's very violent. But it was also one of the first times a movie was so controversial people demand it that it be not shown even before it was made. And uh, I think now to cleanse our palates a little bit, I think it's time to play a game. Oh, yeah. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Mr. Schroeder, I know that you are an Al Pacino fan. Am I correct? Oh, you are correct. There we go. That's what I like to hear. Had you seen Cruising? I have. Oh my God! Yeah, I saw Cruising. He's an Al Pacino. Fan. I'm a big Al Pacino fan. I watched. Uh, I like. I, I like Cruising. I think he's really great in it. I think it's. Uh, yeah, it's got some some issues. And it's kind of. You don't. You don't mind him dancing? No, I think it's amazing. <laughs> kind of freaks me out. The dance. I think it's amazing. <laughs> well, it's because. Uh, the reason why he's dancing so crazy is because he's on some poppers, baby. That's right, he is oh, on poppers. Yeah. Poppers are virtually a character in the film Cruising. They sound so fun. Well, we are sure going to pop today, boys, because we're about to strap on oh. some leather and get elbow deep oh, in a no. little game wow. called Doing Poppers. No. Uh, oh. The following riddles and trivia questions, they're all related to the concept of pop or popping. Okay. 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 So think abstractly. Take some ayahuasca if you have to. Rob and Ray, you're competing against each other in speed rounds. Oh, I'm going to ask a series of pop-related questions in a lightning round. And whoever gets the most right in the time limit, they're going to spend a night with 80s Al Pacino. Oh, fuck. I hope you yes. win. I want to dance. Here we go. This cinema snack food scientist and businessman had a heart attack in his jacuzzi and drowned in 1995 at the age of 89. Orville Redenbacher. Yeah. Orville Redenbacher is correct. When this kid favorite food debuted in 1964, Pops. it was originally called a fruit scone. Pop-tart. P- uh, Pop-tart is correct. It was originally a fruit scone. Fruit scone. That's what you called me yesterday. After the initial pop of opening the bottle, you could read a real fact. Snapple. Under the... Snapple is correct. This is the word for grand pop in Spanish. Abuelo? Abuelo is correct. This artist was the so-called queen of pop. Madonna. Madonna is correct. This band is widely considered the most popular act currently performing K-pop or Korean uh, popular BTS. music. BTS is correct. Pop, P-O-P, is a common abbreviation for this retail term. Soda. No, no, no. Uh, this retail price on, term. Oh. Something on. That's proof of purchase Pers- or proof oh. of payment. This real wild child singer has been the designated godfather of punk. Johnny Rotten? Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Sorry. This mega comedian is developing a film called Unfrosted, the Pop-Tart Story for Netflix. Kevin Hart. Dave Chappelle. That is Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, oh. yeah, that's right. I did hear about that. And finally, tied at 3-3. Somebody's got to get this one to win. In 2018, the four highest selling soda pop brands were Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Diet Coke, 
And this. RC. Dr. Pepper. Mountain Dew. It is Mountain Dew. Wow. Mountain Dew is the fourth most popular soda pop yeah. brand. What is it? Coke, Pepsi, Diet Coke, and Mountain Dew? Yeah, the top wow, four okay. in 2018 study. Were, okay. Were, yeah, and they don't have the money to fund that every year, so they just do it. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I mean. That's yeah, expensive. All right, guys, we want to f- uh, cure cancer this year, or we want to find out who's drinking more DP? Double penetration? Cola. No, no, Tom. Diet Pepsi. It's not double penetration. I'm drinking the wrong thing, then. What are you drinking, Frank? Uh, DP. What kind of meeting is this? DP is the only can that opens at both ends. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, friends, check us out on Instagram at This Was A Thing Pod or on our website, www.thiswasathing.com. Or uh, if you like what we're doing, support us financially. We need the money. <laughs> I'm poor. Go on to patreon.com to pay our wonderful people like Mark and the editor, Daniel, and and Ray has a Funko Pop habit, and I don't know where, where some hey, of the money's going. Hey, yeah, you should have asked a Funko Pop question. Pop it. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut-Cut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 